It's Tuesday, November 16th. You're locked into Real Talk. This episode is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well. I was down there just yesterday popping in to see the team. They send their greetings, Real Talkers. They send their salutations. There's always something happening down there. When I walk in, I feel like I'm sort of like peering into the future. I'm always like, what's going on around here with all of you? What's going on in this place? They got their finger on the pulse of what's next. Plus, what's happening now in the world of Bitcoin. Plus, like, you know, blo- you got questions about blockchain and Ethereum and, and all of the other coins. I don't want to use bad words right out of the gates, but you know what everybody, like all the, there's, there's like Team Bitcoin and then there's all these other coins that like flounder. They're worth like a cent or a dollar and people are straining them and Elon Musk gets involved and then they become, you know, so earmuffs, kids, but in the business, they're like, there's Bitcoin and then there's shitcoin. Yeah, the shade. Now, that's not what the team at Bitcoin Well says. That's what the, the, the sort of the, the greater world of crypto says. But if you want to find out if, if that sort of denigrating characterization of alternative cryptocurrencies is fair or not, in other words, if you have questions, why not go ahead and look up Benny? And the team of frontline customer service representatives at Bitcoin Well, you'll find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Now, we recognize that people uh, download Real Talk, people tune in, people check out the show from uh, all across the country and, and for that matter, across the world, more than 60 countries. But can we say in our neck of the woods, a, a dump of snow overnight? We had this extended fall where we had uh, basically weather that was unseasonably warm and mild and not a ton of snow and people were out and I mean, yard work. I mean, we were just lazy on our yard work because we had nothing but time until all of a sudden wham we had no time left and we've woken up to absolute chaos this morning except for it's completely beautiful as well everything's under a foot and a half of snow and uh and and roads and travel are going to be wild and a lot of people are choosing to just stay home but we look west of us i mean the the entire country looks west really to the province of british columbia and uh sarah hoyle's the the images that we're seeing from, I mean, different highways, the Coquihalla Highway, everybody knows Highway 1, and of course, the, even the city of Vancouver, these big unmoored barges. I mean, uh, it's it's a story that the entire country is following right now, I think, with our hearts in our throats a little bit. Yeah, I mean, 100 to 250 millimeters over the course of 36 hours and some places even more than that so it's meant like flooding landslides i mean it's just a total disaster yeah highways knocked completely out um the city of Merritt has a complete citywide evacuation order in right. right now it's it's astonishing um i mean just to think like how long ago was it that we were talking about forest fires well, yeah wildfires no kidding it's i mean the, the community of Lytton in particular um i think you pulled an image that, that we can see for people that are checking this out on youtube we're, we're going to share some videos and photos with you we'll describe them if you're tuned in on the podcast but i mean you look at this uh this is a, a tweet from bc transportation a look a flyover view like a bird's eye view so to speak of, of highway one at tank hill near Lytton and nickman and if you look at this i mean it, it's absolute devastating these are these are major highway projects in store i mean the, the coca hall in some places is completely washed out this is going to disrupt travel for months and uh, but you i mean the community of Lytton 
like you were pointing out in our production meeting this morning off air, Lytton was was in the focus at COP26. People were talking about how virtually the entire community was raised with a Z uh, raised by wildfire this summer. I mean, a complete a completely uh, destroyed community starting to rebound, maybe. Mm. And then all of a sudden this it's, it's been a tough Hall, to say the least, unbelievable stuff. Yeah, I mean, Justin Trudeau used Lytton uh, in his, you know, his address yeah. to COP26 uh, as an example of of what kind of things can happen due to climate change. I don't think that all Lytton residents were stoked that they were the example, and some of them, I think, even resented it. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Why do you think? You, do, you, why is it? Because the implication is that they were they were like the center of evidence of climate change or something like they didn't like to be used as an example yeah don't hold us up as the example and then you know not what three months later now we're looking at this which is a major highway being wiped out by a mudslide so whether or not uh we want to admit it (laughs) i think there's you know the proof is in the pudding yeah that's what some people are arguing for sure um you know when you talk about climate change and extreme weather you know some people are going to be saying uh for sure that uh you know climate change is is uh evidenced here with with the mudslides and the floods and the wildfires and everything else and and you have people on the flip side and people are going to say is jesper singing to both sides this thing um i'm going to say that there has been extreme weather for for hundreds of years but when you take a look at sciences scientists and what they say about trends. It's obvious that there are some unignorable things happening right now. How about this tweet from Cole Schisler that says these photos are three months apart. This is just a bend on a BC highway. You can see three months ago, absolutely ablaze is the landscape. And now this mudslide, this rock slide has completely blocked off the highway, uh, creating total disaster. You look at that tinder dry to allow for a fire like that to spread and then so wet and so unstable that a mudslide that a landslide roars through now experts will say you know because the landscape was so dry it probably yes. made it more vulnerable to landslide and flooding that's kind of the point is that these are are these these risks stack one on top of each other and uh, oh, okay. really wild stuff to keep an eye on we're going to be following this story i mean this unmoored barge uh, right near the Burrard Bridge in Vancouver, we have some video of that, which uh, people are talking about as well. I mean, it's just this is this is sort of the uh, is is it a it's it's reality, but it's also the metaphor. It's like I don't know if you remember the floods in southern Alberta coming up on ten years ago, about eight years ago. Those floods, you remember the big house that was floating down the river? It was like a big, beautiful million dollar log cabin, literally floating down the river, hitting a bridge. Uh, in that Bragg Creek High River area. So, I mean, that's the sort of thing that paints a really clear picture. Wild stuff. We're following that story and we'll continue to, to keep an eye on what's happening in B.C. Here in Alberta, big childcare announcement yesterday, and we're going to get to that in just a second. We'll lead off uh, with Alberta's former premier, the leader of the official opposition, Rachel Notley, in just a second. Right now, we wanted to let you know how proud we are to be partnering with the team at Breathe Outdoors. You're going to go breathe outdoors. What a cool name for an outdoor store. I love new outdoor stores. I'm going to go check out this. Aha, but wait. You've known and trusted this team for decades. You just may not realize that if you drive by a Breathe Outdoors store, that it's the shop formerly known as Camper's Village. They've just undergone a beautiful rebrand, but you've been trusting this team to get you outfitted for your outdoor pursuits since the 
1960s. Uh, They've done a beautiful job now reminding their customers across the province and and for that matter, across the country. You can shop online at breatheoutdoors.ca, reminding folks that they're about so much more than just camping. I mean, whether you want to get out into the backcountry or you want to get out into your backyard, maybe cycling is your big thing. Maybe you're a a car camper or maybe you're getting into paddling or climbing or, or what have you. If the outdoors is where you want to go, Breathe Outdoors is where you can get ready to go. You can check them out online at breatheoutdoors.ca or check out their beautiful redone shops like I did just yesterday. You can find all the information online. Also, big shout out to our friends at Brewer Clifton. They are our Real Talk Wine Sponsor of the Month. This is our official Real Talk Wine of the Month, the 2020 Winemaker of the Year. So says Wine Spectator is steering the sustainable farming and the really impressive outfit at Brewer Clifton. Established in 1996 with more than 20 vintages, you can learn more about the Brewer Clifton experience. Of course, Greg Brewer is the magic behind all of this online at brewerclifton.com. Our friends at Wine and Beyond have some exclusive offerings from the Brewer Clifton collection, but you can ask for Brewer Clifton anywhere you buy fine wines. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. So here's the deal. Alberta's got a new child care agreement with the federal government. Some people thought it would never happen. But yesterday, an announcement by the prime minister, the deputy PM, the federal minister that we talked to in charge of these types of programs for families and then provincial representation, Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney, and of course, Alberta's minister of children's services, Rebecca Schultz, all in attendance as were members of parliament and other dignitaries. A plan that should create almost 43,000 new regulated nonprofit and day home spaces in the next five years, a $3.8 billion five-year funding agreement that should reduce by half the cost of licensed child care for kids age six and under. It all gets going in January. The average cost, says government officials, will be $10 a day by 2026. Rachel Notley, Alberta's former premier, now the leader of the official opposition, kind enough to join us this morning. Thanks for making time for us. Welcome back to the show. Your initial thoughts on the deal? Well, certainly uh, my initial thoughts are that uh, it's good news for for Alberta families. Uh, We've been watching and waiting with a a good deal of uh, anxiety and concern because we know that uh, that the talking points coming out of this federal or provincial government has has not been particularly supportive to uh, this plan. And so it was great to see them move forward. We know it's, of course, been delayed uh, a few months longer than it should have been. It probably means that uh, families will lose out on a bit of the savings that they would have seen if had they gone forward at the pace of other uh, provincial governments. But, you know, in the long term, it's definitely uh, a big step forward. Um, I will say at this point, as we look more closely at at the elements of the deal, uh, that that we have some concerns about how Alberta is going to fare relative to other provinces, not so much because of the federal government's commitment, but rather because of what we're not necessarily seeing from the provinces commitment. What do you mean by that? 
Well, on that front, what I will say is we, we, we're we not really seeing any evidence that the province is going to raise its contribution uh, significantly to childcare. Um, and so, uh, whereas other provinces are, are looking to match what the federal government is putting in place. And so we're a little concerned uh, that we're not going to move uh, at the same pace uh, or to the same degree as other provinces are. Um, and in Alberta, that should be happening because this is such a critically important important program and and uh, for not only families and young kids, which of course we have more uh, more of in Alberta than in so many other parts of the country, and our childcare expenses are more expensive than in so many other parts of the country, uh, but also for our economy. It's such a critically important uh, tool for our economy, and we need that pretty much more than anywhere else in the country because our economy is uh, is is struggling more than any other place in the country. So. Uh, because we haven't seen the government make the commitment to match the funding, we're a little concerned about where this is going to go. And we'll certainly be asking about that more today. And I would say, Ryan, that, uh, you know, as, as excited as we are to see us at this point, which is don't I do not want to take away from the fact that, you know, that 50 percent cut is good news for mm-hmm. Alberta families. Um, I would like to see us getting to that $10 a day benchmark much faster. And uh, I will say this, uh, were we elected uh, a year and a half from now, a year from now, or no, year and a half, I guess, were that to happen, we would accelerate uh, it considerably and you would see us uh, coming in at uh, uh, at 18, at, at three years rather than five. Okay, uh, so... So Alberta would be at $10 a day child care uh, by 2024, 2025-ish, as opposed to 2026, you say, if you were a premier. What sort of a commitment, gen- I mean, with regards to dollar amounts, people want to know what would that look like coming from the provincial government? What sort of a commitment would that be? People want to know what they can ask the UCP for right now. Absolutely. So that would look at that would look a lot like doubling what we currently pay for childcare provincially. So right now, uh, the government uh, commits about four hundred million dollars a year to childcare, and and uh, we would look at doubling that. Um, and and the 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 delay would be solely about the time it took to organize bringing people together and organize uh, getting the systems in place. And uh, that's because we know how important it is. And uh, quite honestly, we are a little bit concerned about some of the projections that the provincial government is putting forward right now um, because we don't see them committing the matching funds. Uh, I want to let our audience know that we did uh, invite uh, Premier Jason Kennedy to join us on the show today. We did invite Alberta's Minister of Children's Services, Rebecca Schultz, to join us. And so I'd love to ask them this question uh, directly. But you have experience i mean hard to believe it's it's coming up on uh what was it it was like you know uh april may 2015 you become premier justin trudeau just a short time after that becomes prime minister so you have experience as the premier of alberta dealing with this liberal government under this prime minister how much distance has been covered since five six coming up on seven years ago on the child care front what did it look like dealing with the liberal government six years ago how far have we come Oh, I'll say, I mean, I will say that uh, they've moved very quickly in the last two years or so, the federal government. Uh, when we were working on child care in our term, uh, the federal government at that point was not moving particularly quickly or particularly aggressively um, on this file. And so we got, if I recall, 
I can't remember exactly, maybe a hundred million dollar uh, bump from them, but it was it was it was qualitatively not enough to completely overhaul the system the way it needs to be done uh, here in the province. And so the, the the federal government has moved very aggressively on this over the course of the last two years. And uh, um, you know I, that's good. I mean, to be fair, uh, the 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 Liberals first started proposing a national childcare plan under Jean Chrétien in the early 90s. So you know, I'm glad we're here now, um, and uh, it's 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 good news now. And and that's what I'm going to focus on today. But uh, the other thing that concerns us a little bit is that this is a provincial government that has left so much money on the table uh, from the federal government over the last 18 months during COVID. And as you could tell, even from that press conference yesterday, it's a pretty frosty relationship. And the way in which we roll this out and do the work to make sure that those child care services are available to people in a high quality, affordable way across an accessible way across the province. That's hard work. And we're really going to have to make sure that the provincial government uh, uh, keeps its promise to make sure that the money gets out the door uh, when they say it would. Our mandate on this show is to get different perspectives and to hear things from different sides of the coin and to, to reside and dwell in the gray areas. I'm going to play a clip in a bit. I don't want to spend the time when I'm with you uh, of a back and forth yesterday. Pretty memorable and pretty telling in my mind between Premier Kenny and Prime Minister Trudeau. And Kenny continues to to imply that, that Alberta is getting a raw deal, that, that there's two tiers of relationships, that Quebec always gets the better deal. And the prime minister clarifies your body language indicates that you disagree. But for people listening to this on the podcast, you have been premier. You want to be premier again. Is Alberta being treated unfairly by Ottawa? Uh, no, I think on the on the per capita basis, we're getting exactly the the funding that uh, Quebec is getting. Um, and uh, you know, if uh, the, the 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 fact is is that Quebec is overperforming in terms of the the basic standards that uh, most childcare advocates, provincially and federally and municipally and globally, are looking for, which is uh, you know at, at least as well they've got eight dollar a day, but we're looking looking at $10 a day, affordable, high quality care. And high quality is also important. We need to make sure that the folks who are doing that work are are properly compensated so that the quality of care and the early learning that our kids receive uh, is is part of this package because that's what's going to really pay off. uh, And what the research shows is really going to pay off in about a decade or so, so going forward. And so that's what Quebec's already doing. and so the suggestion that we should have the freedom to somehow underperform is it's just a silly argument. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't have legitimate complaints and, and discussions and debates to have with the federal government on other issues. Absolutely, we do. No question. And on those issues, you need to stand up for Alberta. But this was a petty disagreement. And it looked we, we I don't I don't think it helped our credibility one bit uh, to be making that argument in that context. People are going to accuse me of, of throwing you a softball here. And, and maybe I am. Uh, but I've got the leader of the official opposition here. It's 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 been like a pretty damaging month or so for the United Conservative brand down at the Alberta legislature, pretty high profile resignation. Uh, Minister of Forestry, uh, Minister of Ag, Devin Dreeshen stepping down after allegations of, of drinking and drunkenness in the workplace. The premier's office being sued by a former staffer. I noticed that you 
and your team has been relatively quiet around this. I understand why you don't want to pounce on and capitalize on and politicize uh, somebody's issues around substance use, et cetera. But with regards to this government properly functioning, I mean, they've got this AGM coming up this weekend. Looks to me like there's trouble in paradise. More than the 22 required constituency associations want a leadership review. It's not clear whether or not the premier would survive it. I mean, you're, you're on the other side of the fence. What does the view look like from there? Well, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's tempting uh, if you're a political nerd, which, of course, pretty much every elected official is. And I would argue you might be a little bit of that, too, Ryan. Uh, it's tempting to sort of get lost in the day to day drama. But I think the bigger issue is really this, is that all of this internal stuff, which, quite frankly, has been going on uh, at, at greater and lesser levels in the public eye uh, for at least a year, has led to some of the most historically bad governance that Albertans have received um, in maybe history. Um, and, and, we, and we've seen so many decisions taken that have, have, have pushed our healthcare to the brink, uh, fundamentally uh, hurt the, lo- uh, the lives of, of Albertans. And, and we've seen our economy uh, suffer the most uh, through COVID because of a series of bad decisions, most of which I would argue uh, are at least part, in part driven by the internal drama that that you were just describing, Ryan. So from my perspective, what I see is what this um, childishness and this and 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 the the soap opera is doing to the people of Alberta. And that's really what we we have to keep focused on. And uh, that that's why we we have to move past this. And it's not, frankly, just Jason Kenney. It's the whole lot of them, as evidenced by the fact that when the premier went to Europe this summer, uh, the whole cabinet sat on their hands and watched his cases went up and and uh, ICUs uh, became overwhelmed. So um, that's what it means. It means that Alberta is not getting the leadership that we deserve right now. Rachel Notley is the leader of Alberta's official opposition, Alberta's NDP. Thanks for your availability today. We appreciate it. Okay, take care. You got it. You as well. Uh, the president and CEO of Calgary's Chamber of Commerce coming up in, in 30 seconds. Uh, wanted to remind you how proud we are to partner with Edmonton's Symphony Orchestra. It is back. And of course, they've got distance options for seating at all of their concerts. I know so many people are so eager to get back and and participate in that exercise. There's something that happens when you go to the symphony. There's something what I don't know with me. It's when I hear the strings warming up. When you hear those strings warming up, you go, oh, yeah, this investment is already worth it. Never mind the fact that you can get in the door to Edmonton Symphony Orchestra concerts for as low as twenty five dollars plus service fees. But wait, but wait. You'll spend even less. In fact, if you use the exclusive code REALTALK at winspearcenter.com, you'll save 10% on symphony concerts, all of them distanced seating. Coming up in the next little bit, want to let you know that Arrival, Arrival's coming up three days from now, November 19th. A spotlight on living composers, including the Windspear debut of the piece composed by the annual Young Composer Project winner. That's right. Every year, a student's winning piece performed at Symphony Under the Sky. This concert also features poetry recited by Edmonton's new poet laureate. Arrival goes November 19th. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your tickets at windspearcenter.com. 
Well, I'm grateful that the president and CEO of Calgary's Chamber of Commerce, Deborah Yedlin, has agreed to make time for us this morning. Everybody wants to know the business angle on this new childcare deal. Of course, everybody seems to be pointing out, or at least most people, that this is big, in particular for women that oftentimes experience many more barriers to entering the workforce. These tough choices that the prime minister talked about yesterday. Deborah, thanks so much for making time for us and welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for having me this morning. I would imagine that this is something affordable child care that that I mean, when people go, we need the business angle on this. You're probably going, I can I've got a lot to say about this one. Absolutely. I mean, when we look at what's happened in the, in the recession uh, through covid, we've seen 600,000 women leave the workforce in Canada. We have seen less than you know, we've seen about 200,000 women still out of the workforce. We know child care has been a big issue for a lot of women because they've tried to figure out how to how to stay at home, how to work. How does that how does that sort of how does that balance uh, sort of settle out? But it's this is something that we know from study after study. If we increase the labor force participation rate of women, our economic growth benefits and that's where we have to go, especially in a situation where um, we're seeing, you know, our, our, the demographic is, is aging. We need to increase our productivity. We need every unit of labor we can possibly have. And we need to make sure that half the population, which is the, our women, are, are employed and that they have the chance to be part of the workforce. And, and it's, it's been challenging. The cost of daycare in, Cal- in Alberta has been very high. I know, you know, it's 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 one thing for, you know, I, I mean, for general citizens, we're going to be talking to a mom. She's also an accountant and she's a real talker. She's an audience member. She was on almost a year ago. Heidi Bergstrom talking about this. And so she's crunching the numbers, she says. But here's my perspective as a mom. Um, you know, I think people can say, OK, well, this is your opinion with regards to the, the effectiveness or the, the, the dollars and cents of, of, of affordable child care. Uh, and I know that Heidi has encountered that. I've talked to her about that. She, she She's sitting there going, no, the, there's proof. She's says the proof is in the pudding there, there, there there's evidence that investing in affordable child care pays for itself over and over and over again when the calgary chamber of commerce when the president and the ceo when you start backing this up too to me it becomes yeah. even more irrefutable how important of a message is that this is critical because i think that we have to recognize that for every dollar i mean there's all sorts of numbers out there but right now it's sort of for every dollar you you uh, spend it you generate a return of between 7 and 10% on that dollar invested and it's not just that when you do have good quality childcare for 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 young for young children you set them up for success in the future they have that they, there's so much evidence to show that they can be more productive in the workforce. They perform better at school. They generate, you know, they have better skills. It's it's a win-win all around. You set your entire society up for more productivity, better uh, contributions to the economy, and it's just it's 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 important. And I think the, the the challenge is that for too long, too many women have looked at their what they've chosen to do as a profession and said the cost of childcare is too high for me. I may have a university degree, but I can't use it because I can't afford to put my kids in daycare because it just the, the numbers just don't work. And this deal eliminates that calculus. And that's absolutely critical for women in, in Alberta, but also across the country. And I think what we have to recognize is that the younger demo- demographic 
this is important to them. This is important, and it's particularly important in the province, which has a very young demographic, where we have a lot of young families. We do have a lot of families that work shift work. So this all addresses those issues and actually is is, is a huge win for, for, for families in Alberta, not just women, but it's for Alberta families. Deborah Yedlin, our guest, President and CEO of Calgary Chamber of Commerce, you issued a release yesterday. You know, it jumped out at me right away, and I think that was your intent because it was in the first paragraph. You say this brings Alberta to a more level playing field with other provinces, yeah. But also, I mean, you reference sort of a global market where families decide yeah. to move and live. This is about more than just Canada. It is. You know, we are as we we've heard, we've had this conversation for quite a while now. We're all, we're competing for talent from around the world. And COVID has accelerated that because the world's become flat. You can work anywhere. And so we really need to work hard to make sure that we have the conditions that people want to come here, live, and be part of our for our economy and the potential that it holds. So this all of a sudden sends a very strong message to young families, to other people that are looking to, to relocate. They can see Canada. They can see Alberta as a place that meets their values. It's that values-based conversation that's going to help us attract that next generation of talent that we really, really need to look at bringing to this country and to the province. So I think this is, you know, this is a net win. This is, as I said, it's it's just really important for Alberta, but also for Canada. We need to increase economic productivity. We need to make sure that everybody's gainfully employed and part of the workforce. I know I, you know I have a son who's 26 years old. And when he first started working in the States for a tech company, one of the things he looked at was, does it have paternity leave? Is there some sort of like, what does childcare look like for me? It's an issue for this younger generation. And we have to make sure that we can provide that support for them. Yeah, well said. Well said. Uh, Deborah, we've got a stacked morning, so I'm going to keep the interview shorter than I'd like. But but I want to ask you this in closing. Uh, we had an opportunity to, to talk to your cities. I guess, you know, my hometown's new mayor, Jody Gondek, uh, the morning after she was elected. And that moment, the takeaway moment, uh, she said, you know, her first order of business, her first the first thing across her desk is going to be to declare a climate emergency. Yesterday, Calgary's new mayor tweeting, meeting with energy leaders, check child care plan for families, check, fluoridation, check, and climate emergency declaration, check, says Calgary's mayor. I'd call that a pretty good day. Now, maybe it's complicated, but what does that climate emergency declaration do to business in downtown Calgary? What sort of a ripple does that send? So I think we have to look at it from the perspective that we've had six oil sands companies representing 25% of oil sands production in Alberta come together on the pathways to net zero commitment. And so when we see that the private sector taking that kind of leadership, this is really, you could argue that the public sector, that the, the governments are following the lead of the private sector because they recognize this is the way that they stay competitive. This is the way they attract capital. This is the way they transform the energy sector. I mean, we talk a lot about transition. I think it's really important to sort of focus on transforming energy systems. And that's really what this is about. And where Calgary to declare a climate emergency means, A, we recognize the challenges that we face as a, as a city, as a province, as, 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 as the globe from a climate perspective. And we, don't, we only need to look next door to British Columbia and see exactly what's playing out in real time right now. So that's, you know, it, it's, it's a way to show that Calgary recognizes the challenges that are being faced by the world and what what it means from an energy sector perspective. But it also means that, you know, we do have climate, uh, we have clean tech accelerators, we do have clean energy companies that are starting up in Calgary. And we need to make sure that they recognize they have built-in customers, 
that they can make it make make a difference in decreasing emissions and decreasing the environmental footprint. And that's really what we're doing. The reality is more than 2000 jurisdictions have already declared a climate emergency on this planet. And that's over a billion people. So Calgary sort of joining joining that list is is something that makes sense in the current context of where we are, especially in the after uh, after COP26. Well said, uh, Deborah Yedlin, uh, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Uh, also, oh, yeah, by the way, currently serving as the 14th chancellor of the University of Calgary. Thanks for your availability today. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for having me this morning. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you bet. This is like way back. You know, Deborah's a business columnist for a lot of years. She knows what she's talking about, obviously. And uh, when I first started, my I didn't want to like gosh when she was here on camera. But my very first job ever in media at the Calgary Herald, she was like, she was like, she would like walk people like that's Deborah yet. Like she knows what she's talking about. Right. And also to make this even more personal, my grandpa, Stan, Stan Jesperson published the Calgary Chamber of Commerce magazine for many, many years. So every time I hear Calgary Chamber, I think of my grandpa and how proud he was to represent them. I love it. It's a small world. It is such a small world. I wanted to save all that for after the interview. Yeah. So oh, she's, yeah. not, she's like, we want to get down to business. She's not going to come back if I start treating this like some sort of a kids project. But uh, great perspective there from Deborah Yedlin. We'll have to pull that clip. I like that about business and the and, and the sort of the spin off of that climate emergency declaration. I mean, she's 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 the advocate for business like the advocate for business. She's the president of the chamber sitting there saying, listen, here's what the oil sands companies are doing. Here's some some irrefutable or unignorable evidence. And, and here's what our perspective has to be. I love that from Deborah Yedlin. Uh, before we get on, Sarah Hoyles has done a great job lining up different perspectives on this childcare deal. So in just a second, Karen Mottershead is going to join us. Executive director of the Terra Center for Teen Parents. What does this childcare deal, affordable childcare deal mean for young parents? Uh, what does that mean? I mean that that angle? That's one we need to talk about. But first, let me remind you, our friends at McBain Camera invite you to create to inspire. You can find them online at McBainCamera.com. I mean, this is the time of year. Their holiday sale is underway at McBainCamera.com. You don't want to wait too long. You don't want to ignore it. And then all of a sudden scramble at the end of December, if you know what I'm talking about. Rico holiday sales are on now at McBain where the brand new GR3X is in stock and available for just $12.49.99. The GR3X features a new 26mm GR lens that achieves sharp imaging with high resolution and high contrast. So if you pair that lens with a large 24.2 megapixel APS-C format sensor, Sam, do I look, sound like I know what I'm talking about? You have brilliant, compact camera capabilities with unrivaled image quality. In layperson's terms, you don't have a massive camera that's ridiculous, tough to carry, and way too expensive, but you still have those types of photos. Compact, affordable, and top shelf quality. Plus, McBain has extended their 30-day price protection guarantee all the way through to Christmas Eve, 24th of December, so you can shop early with confidence. You're not worried that there's going to be some fire sale a week before, and then all of a sudden you're left holding the bag. You're left paying way too much. You can visit one of their six convenient Alberta locations or live chat with one of their team members right now online at McBainCamera.com. Our friends at Park Power are powering our Real Talk RJ hashtag. That's a great way to stay in touch with the show, both when we're live or through the rest of the day. We're always keeping an eye on it. 
Park Power is always here for you. As your friendly local utilities provider, you can compare rates right now on internet, electricity, or natural gas. You have the power of choice. So why not exercise it? Whether it's a fixed or variable rate, you're looking for all of the details on their website. Plus, answers to some of the frequently asked questions. Why not back the company that backs your favorite show? You can find them online right now at parkpower.ca. We're going to be getting to your comments on this affordable childcare deal. We're going to be showing you some video yesterday, a pretty memorable interaction, a pretty telling one between Alberta's premier and the prime minister. We'll break that down. We're going to get to some of the emails that you've sent us, longer form explanations as to why this deal, this childcare deal is so big for your family. But let's find out what it means for younger citizens. Let's find out some of the doors that may open here. Maybe some of the hurdles that are going to get kicked over with this ultimately $10 a day child care plan. Karen Mottershead is executive director of the Terra Center for Teen Parents. Karen, welcome to the show and thanks for making time for us this morning. Good morning, Ryan. Happy to be here. I would imagine this is the type of deal that you've been looking to see for a long time. Take us into it. Yeah, yesterday was a great day. And, you know, we had that uh, snippet of uh, good times with the $25 day daycare. Mm. And then that went to the wayside. And uh, out of that emerged a lot of challenges for our young parents because they'd had the opportunity for something that was a little bit more affordable. But now we've moved to the other side of that. $10 a day daycare is just uh, fantastic. Uh, and what I also heard um, from the premier last night when she was doing a, a town hall conversation with some of the service providers was that the teen parents uh, at Louise Dean Center in Calgary and the teen parents in Edmonton, actually, while they're attending school, they're not going to have any daycare fees at all. So that's not something I had heard. And it was uh, wonderful because it, it just is going to make such a difference for stability. You know, like 100% of our young parents are living in poverty. So you can imagine what the difference that this is going to make. Is that is it like definitively 100% of, of the young parents are living in poverty? Well, the young parents that we're serving. Yes. So, um, and they, they come to us because of the life challenges they are having. And poverty is one of them. And so if you're on student loans or um, sources of income that net to about maybe $2,000 a month. And out of that, you're paying $400 a month for uh, child care parent fees. That's a big chunk of your income. And so now with that in their pocket, they're going to be able to make a lot more better choices for themselves. Karen, can, you, can you give us uh, um, yesterday I spoke, I spoke to an advocate for, for, uh, you know, people pursuing, you know, healthier sort of mental health. And, and she gave us an example. Uh, they gave us an example, not, not to, not to sort of describe one person, but they said, let me, let me tell you about Bob. And Bob's story was, was kind of drawn from inspiration of several different people. So we don't violate people's privacy or, or get too personal, but, but maybe along those same lines, maybe, maybe you could give us an example of what a parent that's tapping into resources at Terra Center, what they're daily life is like can, can you can you give us some insight sure. yeah and i just had a story across my desk uh, the other day and it's a really good example so we have uh, a young parent at norquest and um you know embarking on her post-secondary and the, tr- the struggles that she's had have really compromised her mental health and her ability to um move forward in her future. So because of, of childcare, 
She's had to work part-time. Um, she's had to make some choices about where she's placed her child in terms of quality care that has not really, you know, met her own personal standards of what she feels good about. Um, and there's been a lot of additional mental wellness and mental stress. These are huge challenges. I mean, you can't imagine living alone in poverty and trying to be online doing school with perhaps a toddler running around because you can't afford childcare. And th these are young parents, you know, that they, they really are looking for stronger, brighter futures for themselves and their children. And, and they've got all of these systemic barriers and systems that are difficult for them to maneuver, applying for funding, getting back to school, uh, accessing mental health services. And, and um, they, they're kind of a beaten up group sometimes, you know, there's not a lot of people in their court. And so um, we're just so happy that this $10 a day daycare is going to make a huge difference for them to make some better choices for themselves. Now, the work's not done. And and I know that you're not going to pretend like oh, all of a sudden. I lost you. Oh, do we, uh, Sam, you want to make sure that we still have, Karen, can you still hear me? Yeah, no audio. Okay, she's got no audio. So maybe we can get her off camera and we'll get that figured out. We're talking to Karen Mottershead from Terra Center. So, so I'm about to, I think, dig into the obvious here, which is that there are still many challenges uh, that these young parents will face. And we'll find out from Karen what would be perhaps some meaningful action on that front. I mean, essentially, what's her wish list? Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. How about this one from Cheryl? I want to get to this email from Cheryl. She was in touch with us to talk at RyanJesperson.com. You can send us an email 24 hours a day. Obviously, Sarah Hoyles will check her email 24 hours a day and get back to you right away. Oh, that's interesting. As soon as the email arrives. That's really interesting. Sarah will get right back to you. Thanks for that, Ryan. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, because I'm going to because I would be so tired if I had to imagine if I had to pay attention to the show 24 hours a day. That's your department. You know, I would probably be relaxing or to recharging my batteries. Cheryl's like, "Could you get to my email, please? Could you get to my email?" Cheryl says, "What a great announcement yesterday." She sent it to us as a matter of fact. This is from this morning. She says, "Wow." Did it take my husband and I down memory lane to remember what it was like to not have affordable child care? Cheryl says, I, uh, you know, I, I did a Twitter thread about it. Cheryl, I apologize. I haven't seen it. She says, but that's a bit like venting into outer space because like I, I don't have a huge following. Uh, she says most of what I post doesn't garner much interest, but I digress. You know what? The key is there is you got to tag us in your tweets so then we can see them. You know, you do your tweet, you're like, you, you know, you, you go off, you blow a gasket or you throw some bouquets out there, whether you're happy, whether you're sad. We used to say in university, whether you bestow a wreath or whether you unleash the geese, tag us so we can see it, Cheryl. She says, I want to reshare what I tweeted. She says, because I always feel good when I hit send to the team at Real Talk. Cheryl says, when I was in law school with three little ones, we scraped together 1500 bucks a month for part-time childcare, part-time childcare on one income. And even with a pretty good single income, we were broke all the time. I don't doubt it. She says paying for law school and childcare meant that our bills got juggled. And so that meant that sometimes our power got turned off or like our car. We had one car. She says it only got checked for maintenance when it was absolutely critical. I know that a lot of people can relate to that. She says my my mate, an independent contractor would pick through unused work supplies to see what he could return so we could buy groceries. The debt of childcare and law school followed us for years after I graduated. While friends traveled and topped up their investments, 
we paid off loans and paid back overdue taxes. Yesterday's child care subsidy, while 15 years too late for us, says Cheryl, unlooses the noose around families without supports. She says, she says, I made a, a derisive snort at a reporter's question to the prime minister yesterday about what families will do with all of these savings. Dude, most of them will be paying bills and buying RESPs for their kids. Child care subsidies allow primary caregivers to pursue education and career aspirations, no longer forced to stay home in a cycle of poverty where opportunities are completely inaccessible. Cheryl says, I'm, I'm so grateful to my mate for supporting my future during those lean years. Not many would take the risks that we took to break away from the cycle of poverty that we'd grown up in. And I'm so glad that other families will not have to go through what we went through, says Cheryl. Go Canada. She says, and thanks to Real Talk for the free therapy every morning. Listening to you and sometimes venting at you makes me feel so much better. Happy trails from Cheryl. That type of email, you know what? That's going into the running for email of the month. And every month, right around the first of the month, we're going to identify an email that has really, really impressed us. That, and I think one of the key metrics is going to be what's kickstarted conversation on the show. And one of you every month is going to receive a free Real Talk Crescent mug. This is version two of our new mugs. We've sold out the diner mugs, by the way, on our website. But you can check out our new Crescent mugs at RyanJesperson.com. Karen Mottershead is back. She's executive director of the Terra Center for Teen Parents. Karen, can you hear me okay? I got you now, Ryan. Okay, I'm good. perfect. Hey, thanks for hanging out. Uh, just read an amazing letter from a real talker by the name of Cheryl. She's going through law school 15 years ago, said she and her family are, you know, her husband's picking through construction supplies, seeing what he can yeah. return so they can buy groceries. Power's being shut off. You hear this stuff every day. Every day. And interesting enough, one of our uh, alumni, uh, one of our young parents just graduated law school from uh, Saskatchewan, University of Saskatchewan, and uh, very much her story too. Like I think her child is about six or seven now but it is really really tough and you are living in poverty and uh every penny is so important and you know just think about this we're going to have young people that are going to be able to buy something beyond apples and oranges and kd and wieners right and you think about their children and the benefit to their children of having this little bit of extra cash in pocket um for some actually it's a whole lot so swimming lessons right and um just the, the kind of opportunities that so many other families have. This, this is gonna it's going to be, and, and Karen, you're hitting the nail on the head, like swimming lessons. Like this is, yes. these aren't like these big luxuries. I think a lot no. of people, you know, I, we've all been around. People will know what I'm getting at. If I cut right to the chase, everyone's like, you know, looks at people experiencing homelessness and they'll say, oh yeah, if I give you five bucks, you're just going to spend it on booze. It's like, if I have 500 bucks, I'm going to spend it on booze. But we get so judgy, right? To other people. We sit there, oh, you're probably going to, oh, you get all this money what are you going to go do with it now? Oh, I don't know. Like, what if they took their kid to experience a water slide? Like, what if a parent was able to teach their kid what, like, milk tastes like instead of watering it down on the cereal? I mean, we're not talking about all of a sudden immediate transition into the lap of luxury. Yeah, such a, such a good point, Ryan. These are young families and people in our community that they're working hard and they're trying to make the right decisions and do the right things. But, you know, when you're trying to survive on $2,000 a month and you've got to put out four or $500 of that on childcare fees, and then you've got rent, there's not a lot left. So this is really, uh, you know, what we say, a gift from the gods, really, mm. it's going to make such a difference and help people to make better choices. They can get back to school and they can, uh, 
you know, hopefully do some things with their children that, that help enhance their lives as well, too. Karen, what else? Uh, I mean, what, what else is on your wish list? Uh, what are the boxes that aren't ticked yet? For young parents, uh, you know, mental health services, we've been fortunate that within our own capacity, we've been able to um, hire some great clinical staff and do some mental health supports. But that is an uptake that has just um, more, more than doubled the last year. And so this COVID that we've all been through, you know, again, for young people that don't have support systems, that live in poverty, they're isolated, and they're developmentally, I mean, they're adolescents, they're young people under 21. So, yeah, they, they need a lot of support to get through this, and they need some shoulders to lean on. So our wish list is looking to, you know, partner with others and try to provide some additional mental health supports for them. How are you funded? So we have a, a variety of funding sources, the city, the province, the feds, all three levels of government. We have a fantastic fund development team uh, that does a great job raising dollars on our own um, and through some different, you know, corporations and foundations. But it, it's hard work. We've got a full-time team of a uh, few people pounding the pavement and uh, trying to pull it all together for us financially. Do, do you accept donations? I'm just looking at terracenter.ca right now. Can people make personal donations? Yes, absolutely. And we're going to be launching our annual campaign in the next couple of weeks. And that is going to tie in very, very nicely into this announcement because we're going to be looking at how can we now support our parents to be more prepared for uh, career readiness, employment, especially our young dads. Uh, so many of them have not even finished high school. And so this campaign that we're going to be launching is going to be about uh, creating some services to help them be more ready for the employment world and help them to get out there and get boots on the ground so they can uh, become employable. Karen, you're doing such important work. You and I know you'll want us to recognize your team as well at the Terra Center for Teen Parents. Thanks for making time for us. Good. Thanks for the conversation, Ryan. Yeah, you got it. That's Karen Mottershead. You can follow them online at Terra Center or again, you can check out terracenter.ca. 50 years they've been operating, empowering teen parents to succeed. Uh, in just a second, we're going to check back in with, uh, I don't know if Heidi Bergstrom was maybe like the first audience member turned guest on the show. She was, there. I mean, she joined us December 15th. So the show had been on air for like two and a half weeks, three weeks, not long. Not even a month. Yet. Not even a month. Yeah. She, com she comes on back to back with Ann Castleman, who joined us out of Vancouver, a journalist with uh, the Walrus and with like National Geographic and a bunch of other outlets. And uh, and all of a sudden, like Heidi and Ann start kind of like getting along and then they become friends. And then now they're like hanging. I don't know if they're hanging out, but they live in two different provinces. But it was like this amazing thing. It was one of the first, I should say this with Heidi here, but it was one of the first moments where I was like, I think real talk is going to be a thing. You know, people are like becoming pals. Yeah, it's real talk, real friends, real, talk, real, real community. <laughs> um, but I wanted to flag that our question of the week this week is talking about our one year anniversary. Yes. And so, folks, uh, we want to know, like, what were the highlights, the lowlights? <laughs> also, do some mean tweets, mean tweeting at Ryan. Mean we're, tweet at me. There's going to be a trash the survey, talk. Yeah. There's going to be a special trash talk that's just going to be me reading horrible things about myself. It'll just feel like I'm back on the radio. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, RyanJesperson.com. You can check out the question of the week, November 23rd, uh, our one-year anniversary show that's coming up in like a week. And it's going to be, uh, I'm so excited, when we finally announce who's going to be on. I was going to say, when do we get to announce who we booked? Should we, should we announce it right now? Should we just announce it right now? 
Should we let people know now live? I mean, we'll tweet about it after the show. I don't know. Should we let people know that Malcolm freaking Gladwell is going to be joining us on November 23rd? You think people might be interested to hear Malcolm Gladwell on Real Talk? Are you kidding me? Oh, and then there's also there's also another guest who happens to be joining us and people might have heard of her as well. Marie Heinen, probably Canada's most prominent defense lawyer. Uh, I've been wanting to interview her for years uh, in particular, I mean, you know, inspired by her defense of, of uh, I think you can call him disgraced radio host, Jean Gomeshi. Oh, you can definitely but, call him that. But Marie Heinen's career is about so much more than just defending Jean Gomeshi. And I think that's going to be an absolutely incredible conversation. So I'm so excited to talk to Malcolm Gladwell and Marie Heinen. Uh, we have now made it official, Sarah Hoyles, coming up on November 23rd. That is the one year anniversary of Real Talk. And again, you can chime in our question of the week at Ryan Jesper. We want your reviews. This is going to fuel and, uh, and and deepen the power of our editorial process. We're asking you, what do you like to see on the show? What do you not prefer to hear on the show? Who would you like to see or hear more of on the show? What would you like to see or hear less? I'm curious to what, see what people will identify as the low lights. <laughs> the team at Y Station was like, it's important to ask about low lights. I was like, okay. I mean, it's not a meaningful question if you're not asking it in a real way. Well, it's not real talk. It's then. not real talk. Is we're not just like, hey, come scratch our backs for half an hour. That's not what we're asking you to do. Heidi Bergstrom, in just a second. First, I want to remind you that the team at Jet Set Parking is ready to, well, basically keep your vehicle safe while you travel away to a sunnier locale if the snowfall if these cold temperatures are doing anything perhaps they're inspiring you to book a ticket south you know you can fly direct right now non-stop service this winter from edmonton to san diego how nice would san diego be right now while you're there why not park your money in the bank park your car at jet set at jetsetparking.com right now if you use the promo code real talk you can park for five dollars a day five dollars a day you can't even say for the price of a cup of coffee unless you're getting basic drip coffee but if you like a latte a macchiato a cappuccino it's 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 gonna be more for less than a cappuccino a day again this is my slogan not theirs you can park your car at jet set airport parking the promo code real talk five dollars a day you can book all the way through till the end of 2022 you may say we're not traveling till next August. Doesn't matter. Book it now. Five bucks a day at jetsetparking.com. Also, a huge shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. You know, there, there's a big birthday coming up. You know, this big birthday we've been telling you about. It's it's the birthday. Well, it's Charlie, the sourdough starter. Their, their mother dough sourdough, Charlie's turning six. And so the team at Friesen Brothers wants to invite you to swing by any of their 16 locations uh, to get your hands on, I mean, everybody talks about the Alberta sourdough at Friesen Brothers. Now, November 17th, so that's tomorrow. That's Wednesday. If you're listening to this, you know, today, you're going to be like, Jesperson, it's always today. No matter what I'm doing, it's always today. I'm never listening yesterday and I'm never listening. It's always going to be today. Well, if you're today is Tuesday the 16th, then tomorrow is Wednesday the 17th. And that's the day that Charlie turns six. So if you swing by a Friesen Brothers on Wednesday the 17th, is everybody with me? And you pick up Alberta sourdough, they're going to give you a free Friesen Brothers cinnamon spread plus 5,000 smart shopper bonus points. You can find out more at Friesen.com slash Charlie. Can we, there's, there's a podcast name right there. Always today. Always today. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so right. It's always today. Always today. Unless it's not. 
Can and that then, be in like the subtitle? That unless is, it's not. Always today, bracket, unless it's not. <laughs> Heidi Bergstrom is going to be like, all right, so I don't know what's going on in there. Hi, last time Heidi was on the show. Well, let's just get to it. Heidi, welcome back to the show. We're so excited you're back. Good to see your smiling face Hi. again. Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning. You were one of the first ever guests on the show. December 15th, you joined us. Yes. And it's, yes. I don't, I don't so, remember. Can you remind me? What was it? It was, it was like you either left, you either sent us an email or you'd left a comment on our live or you tweeted at us or something. And we went, we got to get her on the show. Yeah. I had sent you an email because I knew you were going to have Christia Freeland on. And I wanted you to ask her a couple questions about childcare. And it was, you, you came at it, you had this kind of two pronged approach, as many parents do uh, your professional endeavors and your personal life. And you were like, you're like, I'm a mom of youngins and I'm an accountant. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of were like looking at the number crunching side of Canada's childcare reality. Yes. As, as you look ahead now, I mean, it's almost exactly, it's November 16th, it's almost exactly 11 months since we mm-hmm. last spoke. How would you characterize the progress that's been made on this file? I feel like a lot has happened since then. I mean, at that time, uh, you know, there wasn't even really a childcare plan at that point when I was on and uh, there was hardly any budget for it. They had just kind of come out with, uh, you know, a little bit of extra on their, um, oh, uh, throne speech, I think it was. And it was kind of disappointing because I thought, oh, they're going to really take childcare and move it forward. Um, But then, of course, that came. Uh, in the budget in the spring and so you know things have changed quickly and now Alberta signed on which I, I also wasn't totally expecting to happen <laughs> I was gonna say you, you had, there's a little surprise in your voice yeah I knew it would happen but I I did kind of think we would be last <laughs> What do you, what do you, I want to get into, and I want to give every guest an opportunity to answer this as they like. So I don't don't want to get the questions too specific. Um, You know, in other words, I don't want to go like just to the numbers, for example, but, you know, as a, as an overview, what do you like about the deal? What do you not like about the deal? Um, I really like just, I feel like just the weight that's going to be lifted off so many families' chests. A lot of what um, Karen was talking about in the last interview, just like, quality of life stuff, being able to afford things like swimming lessons and just, you know, not having that financial stress weigh people down because I mean, financial stress, it's the worst. (laughs) Uh, It's so hard to get through, like, you know, when you're just living paycheck to paycheck and you're watching your bills. So I feel like, you know, the whole population of young families are going to be just so much happier because they're not going to have that weighing them down. So I feel really good about that. Um, as far as things that are, are missing, um, I think we miss, we're missing out on out of school care funding because mm. the funding is from zero to five. So there's some room for improvement there. Out of school care is hard to come by. I mean, my coworker, I remember when she found out that there was an out of school care spot available last fall. And she was like sprinting through the office trying to scan her registration form. And she's like, I need to be, I need to get that spot. I can't let anyone beat me. So, you know, there's, there's definitely room for improvement there. And these, um, so these are sometimes some like that. some people, I remember hearing stories. Uh, it's kind of interesting when, when someone's preparing to be a parent, uh, you know, when, when you know that you're pregnant and then 
people are already saying like in the first you're, you're like there there's been conception and people are like are you on the waiting list are you on the have you have you, have you applied for this are you gonna be and you're going wait a second what like i'm just I, i'm just reading that my baby's the size of a walnut and people are like well if you're not on the list waiting list for child and that's like a huge wake-up call for people mm-hmm. it's true i i i mean i didn't put my kids on the wait list in conception but uh at uh the it, within their first month they were of being alive they were on wait lists yeah no Mm -hmm. kidding you know one of the things that i like about this and and i think that this may be or maybe it'll be controversial i don't know um i i sort of felt like yesterday was an unusual day and this morning feels the same way which i like which is people are saying regardless of which political party you support regardless of your partisan leanings regardless of politicians you like or do not like we can all agree that this is great news for families and many people are saying in particular this is great news for for women or for people that would typically be marginalized or face more barriers in the workplace i think that these are good focuses to have i haven't seen a lot of people talking about income thresholds but i think that this is also really good and really important uh just for people to know the current subsidy when it comes to child care uh in alberta the current subsidy cutoff is seventy five thousand dollars of household income uh the new money will flow directly to existing daycares, private and nonprofit, and families who earn up to $180,000 a year would qualify for subsidies during the next two years. I think that's great. I can understand why some people might push back or wrinkle their noses at that. I think this is a nuanced conversation, but I think that if you're earning over $75,000 a year, it doesn't mean that your family is flush. What's your take on that? I think that's great. I when like doing my my little calculations that I did last year, you know, uh, for me personally, going back to work with two kids, like me personally, it made sense to have a salary of seventy five thousand dollars just as one person, not in addition to my my husband's salary. So, you know, the the threshold being up to one hundred eighty thousand dollars, I think is is very reasonable, and uh, because when you have especially more than one kid at the t- at that family net income, you know, it's still not uh, super easy to afford childcare. It's still, you know, $2,000 a month. Um, so after you're paying your taxes and your mortgage and everything else, you know, that $2,000, that kind of eats up the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea, by the way, is watching this morning. She says, our baby's not due until March. Congratulations, Chelsea. Uh, she says, not due till March. And I just put us on the wait list for a March 2023 spot. Right. Uh, amazing. <laughs> hey, Heidi, did you do any? I mean, you know, I, obviously you are an accountant professionally. Did, did you do any other number crunching yesterday? Or was there anything that jumped out at you like on the ledger that the average person like me wouldn't notice? I mean, were, were there any other sort of key points yesterday that you said, oh, that's an interesting one? Uh, honestly, no, no, it just, I think, you know, it's it cutting in half uh, right away is, is huge. I see a lot of parents are really excited about that. That's going to be a huge relief for the next year. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get 
like as as Natalie said, to to ten dollars a day within five years. Yeah, that would be great. She wants to see it there in three. Uh, she right. says yeah. she she says they'd get it there in three. So we'll see. Um, you know, I always have to offer the caveat because it's true. It's always easier to oppose than govern. Uh, but I don't think that Rachel Notley's wrong in pointing out that this current government, the conservative government, has been willing to leave money on the table, uh, you know, in, sort of in the name of warring with Ottawa. So, you know, there's kind of some balanced points to be made there. If I can state the obvious, Heidi, one of the other interesting things to keep an eye on, and it'll take maybe six or 18 or 24 or 36 months uh, but w- to see workplace trends and to see what this does with regards to uh, equality in the workplace, gender parity in the workplace, more opportunity in the workplace, uh, participation in the workforce, et cetera. Yeah, I'm really excited to see all that, that shake out. Um, I think one of the things that really needs to be focused on going forward is, is making sure that we have the capacity to take on all these new, these new spaces um, make sure that that licensing is there. Make sure that we're focusing on the quality so that it's not just a spot for kids to go, but it's actually quality, high quality learning. Um, you know, uh, there, we talked about accreditation earlier on the show. Uh, I would like to see that come back because, you know, again, it's not just about a spot for kids. It's not just babysitting. It's, it's early learning education. And so I really want to make sure that, you know, that's there um and we'll see like so much more benefit if if we can get that yeah that's so well said uh before mm-hmm. i thank you for your time i know you have a busy morning um is there anything i haven't asked you about that you i mean you know real talkers you've got your finger on the pulse heidi uh <laughs> is there anything i haven't asked you about in the context of this affordable child care deal that you think is important that people realize um i think just the one one thing that i really liked that was said yesterday was um and I, and I hope it, you know, it's easier said than done, but uh, the focus on, on rural options, because those mm. are very limited and focus on um, making sure that people who aren't working like your typical nine to five also have access because, you know, for this program to be successful for everyone to buy in, because I think, you know, there is a lot of buy-in right now, but there's still a little bit of resistance to it. But in order to get widespread buy-in, we need to make sure that everybody has access to it. That's throughout the province, no matter what time you need childcare. And if we can do that, provide it with good quality, then like it's going to be a home run. Can we, why don't don't we sort of zero in for a second on your, you're in Camrose, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the, do you consider that rural? No, it's kind of, I don't, maybe some. How many many people in Camrose? Like 10,000 ish? No, 18,000. 18,000. Shame on me. Oh, yes. How dare you? (laughs) I I love Camrose. We've always had such a warm welcome in Camrose. I didn't realize 18,000 people. So like, what's the reality in Camrose right now, as as far as you're able to tell with regards to options? Like if there's a a, a young parent, a new parent in Camrose, uh, is there availability for affordable childcare or might this be an example of a community that really needs to see more options? Um. I, I, it's hard to say with COVID because there is yeah. availability because yeah, maybe outside of COVID times that there, like, I just know that when I put my children on, on lists, it wasn't COVID. And, you know, I, the only reason I got in was because of COVID <laughs> was because other parents had lost their jobs and they couldn't afford childcare anymore. It's a kind of a gross reality, oh, but man, that's what I happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of, lot of day homes here. I think a, a big portion of the population is served by day homes. So, so I was glad to see that as long as they're licensed, they're also included in the funding, um, you know, recognizing the important role that they play in, in providing childcare here. Yeah. And that's, I don't, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it, it kind of addresses uh, the premier's comments about Ottawa. This was pre-election. This was pre-federal election. But Jason Kenney had said something like he didn't like the what was it? The the publicly owned union run institutional daycare formula or something off the top of my head is sort of how he had characterized it. Um, and I see that this deal obviously provides four billion dollars. Uh, you know, let me be accurate. Three point eight billion dollars over five years from the federal government to flow to existing daycares, both private and nonprofit. So that's clearly not the case. Uh, yeah, that that was never going to be the case. Everybody like, knows. Everybody he, knows. That. Yeah. He yeah. just he kind of made that up. The, the federal budget always said all licensed spaces, regardless yeah. of how they're. Provided, I know, so. but there's there's just a chance to take a big swipe at hundreds of thousands of, of union <laughs> and, workers. And so he, the premier had to take it. Uh, Heidi, <laughs> it's so good. Hey, thank you for your ongoing uh, involvement in driving conversation on Real Talk. It's so great to see your smiling face. We <laughs> wish you and your family all the best this week down in beautiful yes. Camrose. Thanks for making time yes, for us. Thanks. I, I just can I just say one quick thing. You can say whatever thank you want. You thank you because you platformed a lot of childcare advocates over the past year. You all like, it was part of your show time and time again. And uh, you know, you definitely helped push the needle on this. So I appreciate your advocacy on this as well. Well, thanks Heidi. I really appreciate that. Thanks very much. That's Heidi Bergstrom. Uh, She's real talker. And uh, I won't say she's one of our best because then all the others are going to say, well, what the hell? What are we? You know, we chop tofu, but Heidi Bergstrom, an accountant and a parent, a mom of two, uh, working as an accountant and, and obviously thrilled to see this deal done. You can let us know what you think. We'll we'll be getting to more of your emails. Talk at Ryan Jesperson is, is where you can get in touch with us. And of, of course, you can uh, use our hashtag as well. Real talk RJ. I wanted to tell you for a second about what's going on at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And then we're going to get into this uh, exchange yesterday. One of them between Alberta's premier and Canada's prime minister. It it was we're going to show you about two minutes of it. (laughs) What a dynamic between those two. Sherwood Dodge is like, would you mind not making this like part of our ad? I want to talk to you about to all the families out there. I want to talk to you to the folks and you know what your family's situation is. I mean, maybe you got three or four or five kids. Maybe you're a family of skiers. Maybe you have three dogs. Uh, maybe you do bottle drives for the kids scouts program or the girls ringette team or, or what have you. You need more space in your vehicle. Well, the Jeep Grand Cherokee L is in stock at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. My wife, Carrie, and I actually, we, we curiosity, we just, we couldn't help ourselves. So we drove out to Sherwood Dodge over the weekend. I said, I got to drive one of these L's. So I got to see what they're all about. It's the third row of seating. It's the seven-seater Grand Cherokee for the first time in the SUV's history. So you can check this out. I wanted to show you a photo. A beautiful rig. I mean, it's, it, but it's not like massive. It's not one of these big, massive ones. You know, everybody like wants to get into the, should I say the names? Should I say everyone wants like the Suburban, the Escalade, the Navigator. They all have these big, huge SUVs. Some people are just like, I want it to be like chill to drive, easy to navigate, but have enough space for our family. That is the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, and it's now available at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. 
Also, big shout out to our friends at Local Waste. You know, coming up on Friday of this week, another edition of Trash Talk presented by Local Waste. This is the team operating in Alberta and Saskatchewan and constantly growing, by the way, that's been providing construction, commercial and residential waste and recycle collection, family owned for the entirety of of its existence more than a quarter century you can go to localwaste.ca right now they've got their contact information on the website you can learn more about the company maybe you have a home reno project that's kicking off maybe you're getting ready to purge your basement whatever it is if you need a bin let alone business owners restaurateurs on a more permanent basis they want to fight for your business online at localwaste.ca so this announcement yesterday it's a big one Obviously, and there was a bunch of buzz on Sunday night. People are going, okay, okay, so the prime minister is in town. We immediately go to work. <laughs> we requested the PM, by the way, of course, obviously. And they said, well, they said, yeah, Adam, last time. They said, why don't, you know, why don't we sort of like, you know, mix it. You can have them next time. I said, okay, yeah, as long as we're in the queue, we'll be in the queue, you know, but everybody wants to talk to the prime minister about this. But we got the minister. Oh, not, oh I mean, I'm, like I'm not one I'm of the youngest or the youngest when she came into office. So, like, come on, it's still pretty good. Uh, uh, still excellent. Yeah. And and we've interviewed for the most part all the players on the federal front here. The deputy PM, Christia Freeland's been on the show several times, and of course uh, yesterday really appreciated that as well with Minister Karina Gould. Um, I said, you know, when she was first named a cabinet minister, she was the youngest female cabinet minister in Canadian history, and then she reminds me, she goes, yesterday she gave me the yeah, but. I go like I, I said, being the youngest female cabinet minister in Canadian history, how does that influence or impact your perspective on this deal? She goes, well, keep in mind, she says, I was also the you can watch this. Listen to it yesterday on the show. She says I was also the first cabinet minister in Canadian history to have a child to give birth the first ever. I was embarrassed. I am embarrassed to say I didn't realize that. I guess part of me would have thought that maybe somebody in like the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the two, at least one. Nope. It was her. And what an interview yesterday. I love that she gave us the interview before the announcement, which is also an extra little flex. But I digress. Now, we did invite Alberta's Minister of Children's Services, Rebecca Schultz, and Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney on the show. They declined the invitations. We wanted to show you an exchange yesterday. You may have seen it already, but I think that this is telling. This says a lot about the relationship and perhaps what negotiations must look like between these two levels of government. People have wanted to see, can Alberta's government, led by Jason Kenney, can the federal government, led by Justin Trudeau, actually ever get a deal done? They did, but it doesn't mean that they're best friends. Here's an exchange from yesterday. We certainly wanted the same flexibility as Quebec. Of course, Quebec has had their own program for many years, but they got, I understand, complete flexibility in their agreement with the federal government, which we would have preferred. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, this is the best deal that we could get, and the option was leaving nearly $4 billion uh, tax dollars on the so table. After this, we'll go to the we believe that money belongs to Alberta taxpayers. They paid into uh, the uh, their, their federal taxes. We want to see that those dollars come back to support Alberta families. Uh, I want to commend Minister Schultz for having uh, driven a very hard bargain to get maximum flexibility uh, to, to reflect the unique characteristics of childcare in Alberta. But at the end of the day, it's not the only time where we see what appears to be a, a, a two-tier federation. Uh, and uh, the, I think the basic aspiration of Albertans is to be treated equally, to have the same 
uh, powers uh, that Quebec fun exercises and the same treatment w from the federal government, which includes uh, unconditional funding uh, uh, when there are uh, national policy goals. Allow me to um, respond directly to that, um, and I don't want to get into a discussion around constitution or division of powers, but I will say that it is not a question of flexibility that we gave to Quebec on child care versus flexibility we wouldn't give to Ontario. The goal of these child care agreements, as stated in our budget of last year, of earlier this year, was $10 a day child care within five years and cutting fees in half over the next year. Quebec already has $10 a day child care right across the country. Indeed, it's at $8.50. So it made no sense for us to impose conditions that they have already surpassed. So it's not about treating one province differently. If Alberta already had child care at $8 a day across the province, we would have had an approach similar to Quebec. So let's not create constitutional conventions out of this. Uh, it's about looking at what families had, what families need, and how we get to $10 a day childcare right across the country. And that's exactly what we did. Such different communication styles between these two politicians, right? The one that's kind of like rat-a-tat-tat, trotting out these, you know, slipping in these different words. And if he could find a way to talk about socialism and communism and mention Venezuela and probably unions and state-run institutions and all of that, Jason Kenney would. And Justin Trudeau, who happens to be a parent, whether or not that's relevant or not, it's relevant. Who are we kidding? But also a decent communicator steps up and just kind of says, can we lose all the, you know, can we cut the noise? Can we cut the shit, basically, asks the prime minister on this. Can we talk about what this is about? This is about families having affordable child care. And, and, oh, and by the way, on a, on a fact check, Quebec has already shown leadership on this. And so that's why the deal looks a little bit different. If the deal didn't look different and if the federal government simply said, here is the formula which we will transpose onto every province and territory, regardless of existing infrastructure, investment programs, supports, salaries for child care workers and the like. This is the federal formula imposed onto every single one of the provinces. Guess who would be the most angry about that? Jason Kenney. But now these customized deals are getting done. The federal government is working with every province and territory and, and Alberta gets a deal done. Now, that's a good thing, isn't it? But the exchange yesterday, and this is just two minutes of it. I mean, we could have played you the entire news conference because it was just this strange back and forth between those two with everybody else watching. It's one of the things I really regret. I mean, this is a huge. It's one of the things that's so just really too bad about masks is you, you can't watch a news conference like that one yesterday. And, and, and all these politicians, I mean, you can see the eyes. But they're all going to themselves. Don't let the eyes show what the mouth is doing. But you have to kind of wonder if there were like some smirks and some trembling lips and some, you know, like you have to wonder what it was like. So so this is what Twitter was saying. I just pulled a few. Jonathan 
Tymer says uh, the sniping back and forth between Justin Trudeau and Jason Kenney at this news conference is incredibly fascinating to watch. Trudeau is doing a great job fact checking Kenny's misleading rhetoric. That's coming from Alberta, by the way. And Jason responds to him. He says it was an it was an interesting presser. That's what they call him. The news conference. He says it really does feel like the last days of Kenny's time as a leader in Canada. That AGM this weekend. We'll see what happens there. I don't think he's going quietly. That's the most safe prediction I've ever made. Here's another tweet that caught our eye. This one from Trevor Robb, journalist. Trevor says this presser has a Trevor's covered thousands. He says this presser has an awkward feel to it. Both Kenny and Trudeau are congratulating one another while seemingly taking shots at one another directly in front of one another. (laughs) That's exactly it. And how about this one from Alberta's former deputy premier? Thomas Lukasik says Kenny just couldn't help himself, right? Describes a desperately needed affordable child care program as a return of Alberta cash from Ottawa to Alberta. Classless and petty as always. That from the former deputy premier of the province, Thomas Lukasik. All in? It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, all in parents that have been literally picking and choosing between Fresh lettuce for the kids in the sandwich or heating the home in the first cold winter month or being able to pay for child care in a way that allows mom or dad to consider applying for a job to consider reentering the workforce might not now have to make that tough decision. Is everything fixed? Is everything solved? Is everybody lifted out of poverty right this minute? No, but it's a big step in the right direction. I love this point from Jillian on our live chat. She says, I am super stoked over funding to increase training and salaries of early childcare workers themselves. Many of them are very talented and dedicated women, and this will help their family's bottom line. That's another great point from Jillian. We're always looking for different angles. If we're missing an angle on something we're talking about, we invite you to be in touch with the show. We'd love to hear from you. I've been looking forward to interviewing Dorothy Ellen Palmer. And in just a moment, we're going to understand or at least seek to understand what prompted her book, Falling for Myself. She wrote it a a couple of years ago. It, it, It includes insight into her adoption and her managing living with a disability. A great conversation that, that sort of picks up on one that we had last week. But but first, I want to remind you that the team at Eden Landscaping, I mean, I, I'm sure that they probably don't want me to promote like right this minute. You know, there's two fresh feet of snow and they want to get out into your yard and start working. Mike's probably going to be like, we, we might take a day in the office just today. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not speaking on behalf of the. Maybe today's a coffee day for the team at Eden Landscaping because they do a lot of planning. You don't have to hire a landscape architect when you work with them. It's a one-stop shop. But the point is, there are some construction projects that can continue through the calendar year. I guess the point I'm making is just because it may look like Snowmageddon in your neck of the woods today, and I know we're going to hear from our regulars in Costa Rica and Guatemala and Belize that download Real Talk, and they're going to say, we have no idea what you're talking about. The toucans are still perched in the palm, and everything is perfectly fine as we sip the coconut milk from our fresh... Okay, but if that's not your reality, and you're still dreaming of maybe a pergola or some sort of a covered structure over your outdoor barbecue so you can still maybe, I don't know, smoke those briskets or or maybe throw some chicken thighs on the grill in the middle of January. Not too late. Mike and his team's ready to quote your project 
to get moving on the creative side right now, visit them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Dairy Queen have that flamethrower burger featured through the month of November. This is the one with that fiery flamethrower sauce. This is not for the faint of heart. Do not have a flamethrower burger 20 minutes before you try to run a half marathon on the treadmill. You do not want to have the flamethrower burger as your six-year-old son's first hamburger experience. But if you're a veteran, you, you look to me like, do, do you have a do you have a flamethrower story? It looks to me like your face kind of lit when I said six-year-old trying their first hamburger. You kind of went, eh. No, I'm just like, did you do that to Wyatt? No, I would never do that to Wyatt. <laughs> I'm not trying to turn him off Dairy Queen for the rest of his life. I was like, don't do that. Don't eat one right before a hot date. The more You want to be hot, oh. but not hot. Oh, you don't want to be hot in that way. No. That's kind of like, that That feels like a, uh, that feels like sort of a, a movie from like, that's sort of like the something about Mary, Mary style vibe. Although if you want to learn about somebody, maybe do that because then you'll really get to know each other. It'll be a great idea. You get to know each other very quickly yes. and, and see if you can see each other in like a caregiver role on your first date from the lavatory. Can you, Dairy Queen's like, will you please focus the read on the flamethrower burger and the fact that it has the jalapeno pepper bacon and it's got the flamethrower sauce, the 100% real beef patty, the crisp lettuce and tomatoes, that classic warm toasted Dairy Queen bun, all made better with the classic mocha fudge Oreo blizzard. All right, fine. You can find them right now at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And they've got great lavatories. All right, fine. Okay, okay. Well, they do. They do. They keep them clean. I just had to say, they do. They keep them really clean. I've seen them. Dorothy's already going, I don't think I've ever done an interview like this before, and we haven't even started. Is she still here? She still wants to hang out with me? Last week, you and I, Sarah Hoyles, and Sam, you were there too. But, but you and I kind of like, and we didn't lock horns. That's inaccurate to say we locked horns. We had a great conversation, which we're going to carry forward. And we're going to be talking about representation in film and media and why it matters. And I brought up a specific example. I said, you're going to be telling me that you don't think that Daniel Day-Lewis should have been offered the opportunity to star in my left foot because he was not experiencing the disability that he portrayed. And you and I got into a, a, in my mind, a really meaningful conversation. I gauged that based on audience feedback and how many people sent us emails about it and the conversations that it's had us participating in off air, future segments current ones like this one we're about to have about representation in film, representation in the arts, representation on screen, in news media, in journalism and the like. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, we didn't necessarily lock horns, but we, you know, I wondered if... I think we know, challenged each other. We challenged each other. The idea that, you know, yes, Daniel Day-Lewis, phenomenal, incredible, award-winning actor, but wondering, you know, who maybe could have... Yeah. Uh, filled that role. I mean, I'm not the expert, so we got somebody. Guess what? Neither of us are. But our next guest is Dorothy Ellen Palmer is an author and disability advocate. She's the author of fiction and nonfiction articles. You may have read her work in literary journals, disability journals as well. One of her four books is her adoption and disability memoir, Falling for Myself, which was published in 2019. Dorothy Ellen Palmer, welcome to Real Talk. It's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for making time for us. Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to picking your brain and I want to get into your story and what's prompted your books and your advocacy and 
Can we lead off with with that type of question uh, about Daniel Day Lewis and my left foot? I mean, this is this is something where I think you know we need to have more conversation about representation in film, and we want it to be realistic and insightful and empathetic. How do you approach this debate? Um, first of all, let me say I thought it was very funny when you mentioned that you were hoping to get Trudeau and got Karina because that, in fact, gave you two residents of Burlington, her Ooh, and me. There you so, go. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, hey, let Double me let me friends. let me be clear. It's not like I wanted him and we only got her. That's definitely not what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> we That's we would I, take. I yeah. So Burlington, Ontario, represent this week on Real Talk. That's music to my ears. There we go. Yeah. Now, what, as, as to your question, um, I spent 30 years as a drama teacher and an improv coach. So I have a sort of a doubly expert approach to this as a disabled person, as a disabled activist, and as a drama teacher. And I think what we need to look at first are the numbers. That disabled people are 23% of Canada and less than 2% of the acting community. Obviously, that's a vast underrepresentation. There are decades, you know, centuries of a lack of disabled people on stage and on screen. So it isn't a question of can Daniel Day-Lewis play the role? Of course it could. He's a great actor. The question is, should he? Should he be asked to represent a disabled person when there are no disabled people being able to feed their families as actors? That's really important. It's also about the idea of representation, not only to the viewer, the abled viewer, but also to the disabled viewer. Mm. Then we get to see ourselves on film and stage, which is really important, too. Now, you're I mean, you, you, you're, you've you had decades of experiences in acting and improv coach. Would you say um, I'm not trying to draw it? lines and try too hard to draw lines here but it's interesting we're talking about affordable child care this morning and how it may take a few years for us to see return on that investment with regards to participation in the workforce it may not i mean we may see it in the first two months but the point is that barriers are being removed and people will now in in particular parents and i think low-income single parents in particular will be able to envision a future that they may not have otherwise envisioned Mm-hmm. Is there progress being made on this front with regards to representation in film, on screen, in the arts, where you think that that actors or would-be actors, uh, pe- people with disabilities, are starting to see more opportunity, more roles being made available? Or how much work do we still have left to do here? I think it's starting to improve, but I think it's way too slow. Mm. Um, when Ali Schroeder was nominated for Oklahoma, she had to push to even get a ramp on the stage so she could be seen on the stage with the other nominees. It, the buildings still need to be made accessible. That includes the theaters themselves because a disabled actor can't even audition for a play if they can't get into the theater to audition for it. So there's all kinds of layers of barriers, just as you say, some of which are physical and some of which are attitudinal. Have you seen some big, like, have you seen some big wins uh, with with regards to like a, an act? How do, what, what's the preferred nomenclature? First of all, is, is it do I say an actor with the discipline? What's, I, can you school me? Can you t- what's the preferred <laughs> language here? I think an individual has the right to be asked to refer to any way they individually want. Yeah. But most disabled people prefer the word disabled. Yeah. In fact, there's a lot of rejection and outright scorn for the euphemisms like differently abled, Hmm. um, we generally much prefer the word disabled. 
So have you seen some wins for disabled actors? Yes, um, certainly there are some. Um, the deaf community has seen quite a number of gains where deaf actors have been hired to play deaf characters, but there isn't enough yet. And there, there isn't enough right in the writing. Um, theoretically, one of every 24 people on screen should be disabled if 23% of the population are disabled. So we see, still see whole movies where there isn't a disabled person represented period and we shouldn't be seeing that there's no reason why the hotel clerk signing them in can't be in a wheelchair for example hmm. there, there's still an awful lot of work to be done yeah, that's a great point i was listening to this podcast uh, i was actually lucky enough to meet in person last week one of the hosts of a podcast called screen queens and they were talking about representation of of lgbtq2s plus actors and uh, mm-hmm. they made an interesting point. You can comment on this, Dorothy, if you like or not. It doesn't matter uh, wherever you're comfortable. But they were saying, you know, it's maybe a bit of a different conversation. If you're talking about disabled actors, that's one thing. If you're talking about queer actors, for example, they said, well, you don't know. I mean, you may say this, you know, Juliana Margulies in the morning show that people are watching on Apple TV right now, you know, getting flack for being a straight woman playing a lesbian and and on the podcast they're saying you don't know she's straight she's portraying herself as straight public you don't know it so that was an interesting curveball but they also made the point that there are so many people on set there are so many writers the director the editors the producers they said there's so much room for equitable representation in the arts maybe not even necessarily all the time on screen but they said let's not limit the progress to the on-screen roles and i thought that was a good point Sure. I think all the jobs in the arts, um, including my job in writing, needs to have better representation of every marginalized group. I also think it's the marginalized group themselves that decides what's fair and equitable. So abled people don't decide for disabled people what's fair and equitable. Um, I want to see all of the jobs behind the screen or behind the stage become more, uh, more diverse but I also don't want to, in that in any way to be said, well, now there's no reason to diversify on the screen or on the stage itself. It's got to be all of it, especially because that's what the general public sees, isn't it? They see what comes out on their screen or on the stage. Your book, uh, Falling for Myself, a memoir published in, in 2019. At what point? I mean, have you always wanted to write this? You're a professional writer, obviously, um, and you've been involved in, in entertainment and the arts for quite some time. But at what point did you go, I'm going to put my life story out there. I'm going to write about myself for everybody to read. Mm-hmm. I was always really afraid to write it. Um, there's a lot of shame that comes with being adopted. There's a lot of shame that comes with being disabled, particularly as a little girl born in 1955 who couldn't wear girls' shoes and couldn't dance and couldn't do the things girls are supposed to do. So fighting off all that shame didn't really happen until I virtually met Stella Young. Stella Young was an Australian comic and a disability advocate, and she was totally shameless. Um, I'm so indebted to her because what I learned from her is that I'm completely valuable human being in my body. I'm a completely valuable human being with my own history. And that in honor to her was why I wanted to write that book. Did you see uh, like growing up? Um, so you've, you've told us the story of, of one person that really inspired you. Did you see other people uh, with disabilities that were making it or that were, you know, sort of blazing a trail, so to speak, that that steered you into where your life ultimately took you as a creator and as a storyteller? 
Absolutely not. Never. Hmm. In fact, when I was a child, I'm ashamed to say when I saw disabled people, I ran away from them. I was terrified. I didn't want to be seen as like them. Um, in my teens and 20s, I watched the Jerry Lewis MDA telephone and cried my eyes out because that was the only time I saw disabled kids, except when I was in the hospital with other disabled kids. So there was not um, any representation um, in the media that was positive to me until Jerry Jewell on the Facts of Life, who was a disabled comic. Um, that's, that's 30 years ago, maybe now, 20 years ago anyway. But there was no one to... Uh, identify with, I'm very careful of that word, inspire. Uh, there was no one to identify with when I was a kid or a young woman. Why are you so careful around the word inspire? Again, thanks to Stella Young. She coined a term called inspiration porn. And inspiration porn is the way um, historically the traditional media and the general public sees disabled people as you poor thing, as I'm so sorry for your horrible life. As in, also, let me help you, the charity model. I will assist you because I am better than you. I will assist you because I feel sorry for you. I will write about your life story because the important view is my view of you, not your view of yourself. So it made, inspiration porn makes disabled people the object of abled gaze, just the way a woman in, or a man in pornography is the object of the viewer's gaze. And the viewer has the power. Um, the word inspiration, the disabled people are very careful about when we inspire able people because we should be inspiring them for our abilities, not for pity. That is such a good point. Uh, and I know you're probably going to go, I know, that's why I made it. But that is, <laughs> no, but I'm sitting here being like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Because it is sort of the whole like, like, uh, let me push your wheelchair down the whatever. Or let me help you with your and, and, and in a way people do it, I suppose. And then probably want to tweet about it. Right. Like help somebody oh, yeah. across the road today. Yes. Yes. It's a good deed. And they want everyone to see it and they feel so good about themselves. And then they forget about the person entirely. I might as well be a puppy. OK, so so <laughs> on behalf of like thousands of people that are probably and I'm including myself here that are probably going, OK, this is uh, a moment that I needed. This now, mm -hmm. now we're all going to sort of evaluate what drives us and what we do and how we do it and how we say it, which is such a valuable takeaway from this interview. Can can you give us an alternative approach? Can can you give us the right way to roll, so to speak, with regards to how we conduct ourselves in public, how we look after our fellow citizens, how we communicate, how we uplift one another's? Comes in one word: ask. Hmm. When I'm in my wheelchair, I've had many people grab me and wheel me across the street, whether I wanted to go or not. All right. Ask and ask politely. Just simply, can I help you? Is there anything I can do? And if they say no, believe us and just leave us alone. Um, that's the best way. That's the most polite way. That's a way that is actually assisting us without infantilizing us. You em employ a lot of humor in your writing. Uh, and, uh, and, and people should check out your book again, following for myself, uh, people can follow you on Twitter, by the way, at DePalm, D-E-P-A-L-M. We're talking to Dorothy Ellen Palmer right now. Does, does humor allow you a way to put a message in front of people that, that lands a little, I don't want to say more softly, but it's a way that it, it sort of opens a door for people to have what could be more challenging conversations. Is that intentional? 
Yes, absolutely intentional. Um, I'm lucky enough that it's part of my personality. It's part of the way my family interacted with each other. It's also something that all my years of improv students taught me, that you can deal with some of the most difficult topics in the world using humor, and that's a soft place to land. People are invited in rather than repelled or worried or frightened. And I think that humor goes a long way to share the experience better. Dorothy, what's the, what, what's a, a tip or two for people when it comes to how they talk to their kids about, you know, persons with disabilities or disabilities in, in general? Do, do you have anything that that you think could cut right to the chase and, and really sort of transform how people are communicating with the so-called next generation? I think the parents have to, first of all, have a comfort level themselves. If the parent is all tense and looks away, the kid reads that body language and picks up on it. A parent will often say to a child, when I'm on my mobility scooter or in my wheelchair, will often say to their child, don't stare. And I often say to them, stare all you like, sweetheart. What would you like to know? Mm. Because I think a kid has the right to ask questions, either of me or of their parent. And their staring isn't anything like adult staring. Their staring is curiosity as opposed to judgment. So I, I think that inviting the child um, to be curious is a really important thing. I also think there are starting to be some books out there now written by um, children's lit authors with disabilities that the parents can use as a talking point. Can I put you on the spot? Is there one that you really like? I've got one coming out. That's you not do? Terrible. Oh, great. No, that's not <laughs> terrible at all. What's it, do, you, do you have a title yet? In a couple, in two, two years from now, it, actually it'll be The Scooter Twins and it's about a pair of to, of twins getting their first mobility scooters. Aww. There there are, if you just Google kids books, disabilities, most of them unfortunately right now are American, but Canada is starting to recognize that this is a nation and an important one to fill. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking right now and it looks to be a ton of them, uh, you know, just ask. One of them's called Just Ask. It's what we were just oh, talking about. Funny. You know what, though, I didn't but know that. Dorothy, to, to, <laughs> to like to keep it real, as we say on this show, I mean, I can think we're so afraid. I, I'll be personal. Like, we're so afraid of different conversations. Like, I can think of times our little guy's six now. He still has some questions. When he was like four, you're going, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because there's these different, uh, you know, like there's a fella like where we walk our dogs and he's always out having a cigarette. Friendliest guy you've ever met in your life, a double amputee. And I remember for a long time just being like, please don't stare. Please don't look, say anything. Please don't stare. And it's kind of like, what does the guy not know? He's a double amputee. I think he knows. I think he's probably OK talking. To him. Well, as human beings, we're just I, I guess we just are like a little bit paranoid about that kind of thing, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And, and it is a fine line. Nobody has a right to my diagnosis. Nobody has a right to detail. I totally. don't want to give them about my medical history. But people do, I think, um, I, I do appreciate when I'm seen, when they recognize that I'm in a wheelchair or on a scooter, that I'm not walking like they are. And sometimes that can be as simple as um, getting up and holding the door because someone on a scooter can't open a door. I think that there's all kinds of ways to make disabled people feel a little more seen in the world without necessarily being intrusive. Yeah. Uh, this is a great point from Audra, uh, who's watching us live. She says, remember, the wheelchair is an extension of the body. Would you push an able-bodied person across the street? Of course you wouldn't. Then don't for someone using a wheelchair, which is an interesting point. Um, a lot of people are chiming in on here, which is great. You're getting people thinking. D- Dorothy, If you, I oftentimes like to ask a guest to give us an assignment to give us something to kind of 
chew on, to ruminate on for, for the next number of, of days in the context or outside of the context of our conversation? What's something you would like real talkers to really ruminate on this week? I think I'll focus on my own disability, which is a physical disability, and the barriers um, to people like me in the real world. So here's the assignment. Pick 24 hours, any 24 hours, and count the number of times you go into a building or access a part of a building that I couldn't get into. Mm. I'm going to bet that every one of your listeners will hit 20, 25, 30, 45, because There'll be parts of the building, either through an aisle to a desk, the door itself, the set of stairs, the washroom. There'll be all kinds of parts of the building that a wheelchair person could not access independently. Um, I, I like that idea because then you get a sense of, okay, if there are some 23% of the population that we're keeping out, this is the world that's keeping them out. Um, and to begin to see it in its largest sense instead of, oh, look at that one poor disabled person. So I'd be curious for your, for your listeners to do that, to just make a count of the number of buildings and parts of a building that they could get into that I couldn't. Hmm. Yeah, such a great point. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Bean Gill was on the show, um, I don't know, a number of months ago, and uh, she's in a chair. She uses a chair, and uh, and, and hers in particular. Did you, you must have a huge dump of snow in Burlington right now, too. Do you, you guys get it? But no, really? Are you going to annoy us with, like, your daffodils are out right now, Dorothy? And it's like. <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, it's geez. been the warmest fall ever. There is no snow. Touch large amounts of wood. All right. Yeah, touch large amounts of wood. I would have said that to you two days ago, except for now we're, we're under it. But, but Bean's done an amazing job. It was on July 16th she was on the show. Uh, she was talking about disability and sex as a matter of fact but it was a fascinating conversation uh, but bean has been a fierce advocate and and you know what her her situation's unique as well her story uh, i won't get too into it but but she was in vegas partying with her girls and all of a sudden experienced if i remember correctly some rare form of, of, of like a meningitis type illness and mm. and spinal cord damage and and that was it i mean so she yeah. ha she has recent memory of being able-bodied uh and then is now experiencing life in a wheelchair and um and she talks about even like with regards to snow clearing and with regards to the dropped curbs and i mean all these types of things things that people don't think about i'm going to take an extra day before i shovel my walk well that's different i mean it's a different for somebody that can trudge through in sorrels versus somebody that's using a chair i mean these are the tiny little things that you're getting us to think about with regards to ramps and accessibility and power doors and everything else so important to have i mean we've had some interesting conversations on the show about building codes and contractors mm -hmm. and construction mm -hmm. industry and and how that needs to be reflected so much to talk about and consider sure and and i think when you look through a disability justice lens you see exactly what you're mentioning that almost everything is a disability issue um the yeah. pandemic is a disability issue we were last to be rolled out we were last to be considered there were all kinds of phrases like it's just disabled people and old people who will die which borders on eugenics all right, not just ableism itself. Um, climate change is a big disability issue because disabled people tend to be the oldest and the most um, poverty-stricken people live in the, living in the areas most affected by things like hurricanes and floods. So the, everything is interconnected as a disability issue when you begin to give the presence of disability that it deserves. Kathy's watching. She says, this is such an important conversation with Dorothy. Uh, Kathy says, my dad became an amputee this summer 
and accessibility is such a huge thing that prior to him, I didn't think about, which is uh, a really important point to make. Dorothy Ellen Palmer is the author of Falling for Myself. You can follow her on Twitter. Just look for her handle. Sarah tweets out from our account, Real Talk RJ, every morning. Our guest list, and that includes Dorothy. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you, and thank all your listeners as well. I sure will. I love that. Scott, I mean, man, this is great. I just want to go straight to the straight to the live chat because there's so many great points here right now. Uh, people are saying, you know, I mean, talking about accessibility and sidewalks and infrastructure, right? On conversation, on talking about things, on removing stigma, on removing the awkwardness around it. Joanne says when children with mobility issues are provided a service dog. They finally have people approach them and ask questions as the dog invites conversation. And then those kids feel seen and heard and it can change their lives. Marie says, when my son was three, we were at a checkout line and he asked the man behind us, why are you so black? And the man calmly replied, why are you so white? And Marie says, I laughed out loud and it was the best answer ever. Tanya says, I know it's not the same, but pushing around a stroller for many years opened my eyes to in, to how inaccessible much of our infrastructure is. I mean, Tanya offers that qual of the caveat. She says, I know it's not the same, but she makes a very important point. She makes a great point, which is for a lot of people. I mean, Kathy talking about her dad, a recent amputee. Kathy, I'm glad he's still with us. I'm glad he's healthy. I'm glad he was able to get that surgery. Tanya says, you know, I mean, and it's the same sort of a thing. Sometimes something will occur in your life or you'll find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're seeing, I mean, Bean Gill is a classic example. All of a sudden your whole life, your whole perspective is different. Absolutely. I just, that really hit me between the eyes, the idea of climate change and looking at flooding. Like I just thinking of how we started off the show today, talking about BC, the extreme weather that's happening over there. Yeah. What about folks that are, have, well, to her point, are disabled yeah. and can't, and they're evacuation orders. Yeah. And how do you get out of there? How do you move? I don't know. I just, the interconnectedness is gives me heart palpitations and overwhelms me but also um these are things that i i shouldn't be looking away from yeah i like this also you know me, me i'm big on language and just how i'm fascinated by it the study of language and the words that we use and um and it's made for some great conversations on this show i like just you know i'm sort of like dancing around the like and what do you call them like actors that are f- f- facing the hurt of she, she goes disabled but then you go hang on a second though because i understand why people might say Persons with disabilities, not disabled in the same way as people experiencing homelessness, not the homeless, right? One describes you as you are what you are experiencing. The other is you are who you are and you are experiencing this. And I think that there's a difference. But it's it's interesting to hear her say disabled uh, because I think people want to be. I mean, it's it's this is not the same. But it's the discussion we've had on the show in past on and off the air, as a matter of fact, the return to the word fat. And people now are saying, use the word fat, use it. And I'm going, what? I feel like we've been spending the last 30 years getting or 20 years, maybe five, getting that word out, like out of our vernacular. Like 
like that person is fat. Like you wouldn't say it in a denigrating way, but but now they're saying use the word fat. That's the word. So I mean, it's can I say as we continue to seek to understand, I keep stealing that from Stephen Covey, but seek to understand it's basically the bedrock upon which this show is built. We will continue to endeavor to number one, determine the preferred nomenclature, as they would say in the great Lebowski, (laughs) the big Lebowski, not the preferred nomenclature, dude. And on the flip side, understand why and what drives that awareness, which is really great. And the idea that Dorothy said, just ask, just ask. I love it. Michelle, by the way, chiming in says, just ask is a great book. Oh, and I have to get to a previous comment from I have to scroll back because you guys are so engaged today. The live chat is like humming along. But one of you claims that you're did you see you know what I'm talking about? I'm building this up. This is what I do as a storyteller. I build it and I build it. One of you claims that your five year old is all over the flamethrower burger at Dairy Queen. I have to find it. Where is the comment? Maybe we'll have to go back and f- it's long gone now. Uh, you, something- keep, you keep looking. I, I think you might be able to find it. Yeah. There. Uh, yeah. Got a- Here it is. Aaron. Aaron with two A's. Aaron says my five year old loves the flamethrower sauce with chicken fingers from DQ. Ooh. Aaron says, but then again, we started our kids young on the spicy stuff. I love that. That's the thing. If like kids, you know, growing up with like whether they're certain ethnic traditions, like with regards to what they're eating or maybe their parents are just like all, you know, you always have these people that, you know, you go over to their house and it's like, hey, man, do you have like Frank's or do you have like, you know, Valentina hot sauce? And they're like, what? And then they pull out this hot sauce with like it's like all black bottle with like triple X on it or something. And it's like guaranteed to give you hemorrhoids or something. And you're like, you know, we all have that one friend. That they don't, their hot sauce is designed to like remove all pleasure from the eating experience. It's I was going to say to remove your stomach lining. Well, and that too. Yeah. No, I don't, I'm not commenting on Aaron's parenting, but it sounds to me like Aaron's doing something right. If the five-year-old's able to take down the flamethrower sauce. So maybe I shouldn't be such an ageist with regards to my accessibility to the Dairy Queen menu. Lesson learned, Aaron. Are you a hot sauce guy, Sam? I can see you're, you're sort of nodding knowingly. Are you like a... Yeah, I'm absolutely a hot sauce guy. Like I a triple X black bottle hot no, sauce guy? No, see, and like we've talked about this before. It's like, I, I think that there's there's the threshold of like, there's there's flavor and then there's pain. When yes. The pain exceeds the flavor, you've gone too far. But there is that fine line where the two meet. Yeah. And like, that's the type of hot sauce that I'd probably put, you know, if I, if I want to make myself a real spicy Caesar, I'll put a couple drops of that okay. in. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. y- it needs to be diffused through the thing that you're eating or drinking. It's not something you just take straight. Are you a, are you like a big hot sauce person? I love wasabi. So I love the oh, spiciness yeah. of that. Um, but hot sauce, it's a, 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 to each their own. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not like scared of spice. No, but I you're not scared of anything. Hoyles. Um, yeah, I'm fer- ferocious and fearless. Um, no, like when I start to sweat. Yeah. Or my nose starts to run. That's kind of when I'm like, OK, doesn't that happen to you when you eat spicy stuff? Oh, it's my forehead starts to sweat. You don't yeah, get a no- runny obvious. nose. I get a runny nose. Well, and I and for me, I also think like I was about to say, I wanted to say right now, I'm about a six out of 10 okay. with regards to tolerance. But then I can't say it. I, I retract it as I say it, because what's 10? Yeah. People's different people's definitions of 10. I mean, some people are like, you know, they're like at a summer picnic, just crushing habanero peppers. And you're like, OK, your 10 is different than my 10. Yeah. So, but I, I'm typically kind of like mid, like if there's three jars of salsa on the shelf, there's like mild, medium, and, you know, suicide. Um, I'll take the medium. 
Mild's yeah. a little boring. Yep, that's I'm right there with you. Medium's my wheelhouse. Yeah, add, add a little zing to the. You know, add a little zing to the. I was, I, Medium is my wheelhouse. We had we had uh, we had tacos at home last night. It was taco night in the Jesperson house, and I just I went with the Valentino hot sauce. You know that stuff. Oh, it's like it's uh, yeah, it's it's just that right. It's right around. It's right around like the you know medium, right around medium. It was a. It's not too hot. There's lots of flavor. Not too yeah. hot. Lots of flavor. It's, it's enjoyable. The Goldilocks. It's the Goldilocks of salsa. When I have this other it's hot sauce, right? yeah, it's it's yeah exactly. Uh, and and it's we have this other hot sauce, and I don't know why I keep it. Uh, well, I don't. I do know why I keep it for the same reason I keep absolutely everything else. It's it's why our basement is like looks like a, a store, quite frankly, is because just in case someone's going to come over. But here's the thing. Somebody gifted it to me. Probably. I mean, I'm being serious. Probably literally 20 years ago. It's called ass kicking hot sauce and it's got a donkey and ass and it's kicking. I know. Hey, hey, hey. Figure that out all on my own. I got it. I got I it. Figured it out all on my own. But I've not ever used it because it just it to me is a warning. It's like, why would you you know, you go to the you go to the the ER and you're like, I'm there's blood coming out of everywhere and they're going to and they're going to say, well, what happened? And you're going to say, I put some of this on my omelet and they're going to go, why would you do that? And I, you know, ah, you know, so I didn't want to be that guy, but it's now settled. You know, when you leave these types of concoctions and they just leave them sitting and then they've settled into like different. It just looks so gnarly. Just shake it. Yeah, I know, but I just I'm afraid of what. But I, I also feel like it, it it'll be fine because like nothing can no bacteria can live in there. What's going to survive in that bottle? Yeah, so it's fine. You're 100 percent right. Shake it up like Sam says. You're 100 percent right. Ashley says I go to Indian restaurants and I ask them to make it spicy for me, and they always ask me, "Are you sure?" And I say, "Yes, I am sure." Please make it as spicy for me as you would if you made it at home. Okay. Well, here we go. Blind Melon. Uh, Blind Melon. This is okay. Blind Melon has hit the nail on the head again. How many peppers do you get in your Hunan Kung Pao from Earl's? I mean, that's one way to gauge it. I worked at Earl's for several years. This mentions free for them. We're not going to send them an invoice. Maybe we will. We'll see if they'll pay it. We'll take payment and gift cards. Do do you want some ad music? Uh, No, it better not because then it makes it official. And then our other (laughs) sponsors will be like WTF. Um, but having worked at Earl's blind melon hits it bang on. Cause you tell a lot of person by their Hunan order and, and you say, how many peppers, how, how many peppers would you like from zero to six? And I'm a four pepper Hunan person and blind melon says I've had 15, which is obscene and says it was not a good morning the next day. Yeah. I mean, hope says I used to love hot sauce. Hope says, I think it's kind of like an addiction. If you build a tolerance, the more you use, the more you need. And Hope says, I lost my ability to use hot sauce after menopause. Hmm, Interesting. I didn't see us going here today. But welcome. That's great. If you've stayed this long in the show, you get treated to some unique conversation every once in a while. I love that. I was watching, not surprisingly, I was watching the Raptors game last night. And one of the players, uh, Gary Trent Jr., got got it in... uh, his genitals and the guys could, got what in his genitals oh like god sorry got hit in his genitals oh i thought you were talking still talking about hot sauce oh <laughs> i'm going what the fuck kind of game is this and the the commentators could not say that they're like in his middle uh nuts uh, re- he got hit in the nuts region and i was like just say it it's fine to just say but it why say are you making it genitals. weird genitals is like when you're like in the hospital 
And it's like, we're going to need to examine your genitals. <laughs> genitals? Why? If a sports broadcast was like, ooh, he gets hit in the genitals. Would you have preferred penis? No, I know, because getting hit in the penis doesn't hurt. It's getting hit in the nuts that hurts. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, get, I mean, See, if they had I talked mean, it, about it, I, I mean, would have known that. It can that. hurt. It can hurt to, if you get hit hard enough in the penis. But with the genitals, with the nuts in particular, did not see the show going here. Even just a tiny little... But in the really? ro- oh, you know what this guy I used to this is so twisted and then we're going to sign off for the day. I'm going to leave you with this. I don't know if this is just limited to church congregations. There's always one Where guy. You, go you just wait because I guarantee people right. And there's people that can relate to everything like people will relate to everything on the show. Like, for example, Where's the guy? Racer Tyler just chimed in and said, I worked at Joey's, which, of course, Joey's and Earl's were related for a long time. Same ownership at the time. Anyway, says I worked at Joey's and seeing anything more than six peppers on a Kung Pao order was just showing off. And I think Racer Tyler is right. There's no difference between 10 and 15 peppers. At that point, your mouth is completely ablaze. Back to getting hit in the nuts at church. There's always one person that's going to walk up with their Bible, which is a hefty weapon if used i mean you know religious folks will say that's right it's the sword but i'm talking about actually physically literally used as a weapon and people will come up to you as you're talking gathering mingling after church and be like what's up and there's always the one guy that's like bam and just hits his ball and you go down in the in the church saying like oh and you are down for the count there's always one guy in every church I don't know. Maybe the Catholics will chime in and say that doesn't happen at our churches. The Methodists will say, don't bring us into this twisted evangelical tradition. Someone's going to write in and say that's never happened to me at synagogue or at the tabernacle. But in my personal experience, that was a real thing. I don't know where you go from here. Deborah says having a chain slip on a bike is worse than child worse than childbirth. I'm not sure. If I've learned anything, it's not productive to compare anything to childbirth, especially having never experienced childbirth. Malcolm says, are you talking? Jillian says, you can't do that with the good book. I know. Well, this guy did. Tracy says, what a strange end to the show. Hey, you're just lucky that we didn't lead off with this this morning. Quinn says, I love the education that Jespo's throwing down. These are the things that people need to know. When you're standing in the sanctuary after church, the proper way to do it is arms crossed, hands in front, just like it's a soccer team photo. Always protect yourself. Always protect yourself. Eri said, Straya says, my church definitely does not have that guy. And Scott says, to bring this back out of the gutter, my older brother was making a chili stew. And when he was done, he tried taking out his contacts before washing his hands. Lawless as he says, you see, this type of conversation is why you get bumped by Rosie Barton. Low blow. No, man, this is real talk. That this is, is real why talk. they asked you to be on the show. Rosie that's wishes why, she could have this Rosie, on her show. You know what? I guarantee next time I'm on with Rosie Barton, we're going to I'm going to find some. I'm going to have these little things. You know, how Carol Burnett used to do this and pull on her earlobe to say hi to her mom at the end. of the, I'll have something for real talkers there. Maybe I'll just give a little at the end. Wow. Wham. Kubi Energy. Provide solar energy solutions to power your life. Like the hottest sauce on the blandest dish. 
Solar panels can ramp up your sustainable energy goals in a way that nothing else can. Jake's going to send me a text today and say, please stop trying so hard on our mentions. Please stick to the facts, Ryan. Remind people that we have a blog on our website, kubienergy.ca. I'll say no problem, Jake. If you go to that blog, you'll be able to find detailed information, articles on solar energy systems. The fact of the matter is, if you're talking about maybe getting your, you know, your family cabin or your cottage, maybe you're like my friends that have just... They've just been able to afford the property, but they can't yet afford the cabin. So they're growing into it. So they're going to put a trailer out there. They got in touch with me a couple weeks ago. Said, what about these Kubi cubes? I said, it sounds to me like a perfect fit. Basically, like a sea can covered in solar panels. People are using these to be able to go off grid, but still have the comforts they need, the creature comforts. I mean, that's one solution out of hundreds that the team at Kubi Energy has been providing. You can find them out online. Get a free quote today at kubienergy.ca. And a reminder, Kubi presents positive reflections every Monday or our first show of every week. We've already got a whole bunch. I've got one from Brian and Lori. I kind of want to read it now, but I shouldn't. I'll wait till next Monday. I'll wait, but it's like life-changing type information. So... They, they, they submitted it like an hour, I think yesterday, after Positive Reflections. Right. So they were inspired by it. Right. So I've already got... But it's hard for me to hang on to a message for like a week. Put that it I'm down, so, Ryan. Put okay, it, I'll put, put it down. Okay, fine, I'll put it down. Put it down. Don't make fine. me come over there. Don't make me pull this thing over. Fine. Also a reminder at ryanjesperson.com, as Sarah Hoyles mentioned, our question of the week is ready for you to chime in as we approach the one-year anniversary of Real Talk. We really, 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 what are you so surprised? A week today. A week today. It's a week today. I know. Amazing. So cool. And a big part of that show is going to be your feedback on the highlights, the lowlights, the trash talk aimed at me, your favorite interviews, what you'd like to see more of. We really, really want you to take three minutes and chime in on that. Please do on our website, ryanjesperson.com. While you're there, check out our merch. Real Talk Golf Balls, the perfect stocking stuffer. Coming up tomorrow on the show, Twitter's algorithm pushes right-wing content. The proof is there. How is it impacting public discourse? We'll talk to internet regulation expert, Dr. Tamara Shepard. Plus, the new Alberta Trails Act. Is it really threatening the environment? Isn't it supposed to do the opposite? Dr. Mark Boyce, our guest. Make it a great day. Thanks for joining us here. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.